Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, there's not a time in our lives that we do not cry out in desperation for you. We need you. Lord, our our attention is drawn to you at this time. As a body of believers, we come together. Lord, we are desperate for you. We cannot sustain ourselves. There's nothing within us that has the energy or the the sustenance to to be able to, to continue on. We need you every day, every hour, every moment. Lord, we, our church, the church cannot accomplish what what you have for us to accomplish without your power, without your work in our lives. We, we plead for that today. Lord, you are a great God and we thank you for your forgiveness of sin and just your work in our lives. Father, that's the only way that we could stand before you. And Lord, we are so thankful. But Lord, even me saying that is so so small, so insignificant with the great grace that you have given to us. Lord, help us to serve you with our lives. We praise you with our lips and we thank you for that opportunity. But Lord, help it to come out in our everyday living that we love you and serve you and, and are reliant on you. Lord, I pray that you would that you would just help us to understand your word today. Father, I pray that your word would just ignite our heart, cause us to be the people that you would want us to be. Lord, may we not be satisfied with apathy. May we not be those who can sit passively by and do nothing while our world is falling apart, while there's so much corruption, moral decay, when we have the answers. Lord, help us to be involved about your business. Be on your team. Be involved in your mission. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And I just pray that it would work in our hearts today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a certain satisfaction that we get from uh, doing our physical job, our, our daily business, our, our, the job that we go to on a daily basis, our physical work. There's some satisfaction to that. It's, it's a, there's a certain joy about sitting back and looking at a project that we've accomplished and that we've completed and saying, yeah, that's a job well done. And, um, and that's, that's a good thing. God has put that within us because God has created us to work in a very tangible, physical way. And that's, uh, that's part of the way God has made us. Now, work has become hard because of sin, and we have separated ourselves from God because of sin. So our, our um, satisfaction from our work is not really as complete as it should be. There's a spiritual element that is important that needs to be there, 
And um, so often we, we fail to see it. And our joy is somewhat incomplete because we, we think that we could find satisfaction in what we do, just in the physical day-to-day life. But we'll find, as Solomon said, it's really vanity. Apart from the spiritual element combined with the physical element of our lives, we're really going to be incomplete. We're not going to have that satisfaction that we should have. And I look at a man like John the Baptist. If you would turn over to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We've been looking at this passage And I think about him, was there any satisfaction in his life to what he was doing? Was there any any, uh, fulfillment in, uh, in his life? Because from the world standpoint, this man was really a failure. He really did not accomplish what he set out to accomplish. Now, I'm going to, let me read Matthew chapter Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Just keep your finger there. You don't have to turn. Let me just read. This is, Ma- this is John the Baptist, or Matthew's account of John the Baptist. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself was uh, had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to, to him and all Judea, and all the districts around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. We have a synopsis of John the Baptist's ministry there. That's what he was doing. And there seemed to be a good response there was, there was a lot of people that were, that was just flooding to him. All of Jerusalem was, was going out and seeing what this man was about. And he was just preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they were having to deal with their sinfulness, their sin. How long did that last? Not very long. And what happened to John the Baptist? He was put in prison. And then a short while after that, he was beheaded. Really, his ministry was just a, a flash in the pan. It was a, uh, a one-hit wonder, we might call him today. It, it just kind of, it was just, he was there and, and really less than a year, he was, he was gone. In fact, Israel rejected their Messiah. If we go to John, his purpose was, if we go back to John 1.6, there came a man sent from God, whose name was John, and he came as a witness to uh, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was preparing the way for the Messiah and, and so that they would believe. And what happened? They rejected the Messiah. So on a physical standpoint, John was put in jail and he was beheaded. On a spiritual standpoint, they rejected his Messiah in, in the long run. 
I mean, this guy looks like a failure. It looks like this guy has no accomplishment. And I begin to wonder, was there any satisfaction in his life? I mean, he spent some time in prison. Now, John, the, the Apostle John, brings a lot of attention to John the Baptist here. And you would think that he would be bringing attention to Christ, and he does mention Christ here, but he's talking about John the Baptist. And I begin to think, why? Why is John the Baptist so important? And if you see the heading there, starting at verse 19, you see the testimony of John the Baptist, your, your Bible may say. That was the heading that my Bible has. The testimony of John the Baptist. Why is that so important? And here's the reason. Because John was sent from God. John was God's man. He was the one that was to, uh, to uh, point to the Messiah. In fact, we can look back, Luke chapter 1, when the account of John's birth was given to us, Luke chapter 1, in verse 65, there were so many events, so many things that happened around John the Baptist's birth that this statement was stated here, or said, Fear came upon all those living around them. All these matters were being uh, talked about in all of the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? They were asking that question even back then, before he was born. For For the hand of the Lord is certainly upon him. The circumstances of his birth pointed to God supernaturally at work there in this young man, in this little baby. God was doing something. They didn't know what. And if we look over to Matthew chapter 11, we see Christ's commentary on John the Baptist. Verse 11, Matthew 11, 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is making a point, but he's elevating John the Baptist. And he's, he said he was a great man. To this point, there's not been a a greater man. But still, no matter how you look at it, John's ministry seemed to be just a failure. A failure. Now here's the point. We're going to start reading in verse 19 in just a minute, but here's what I want you to see. In spite of the rejection and the early death of John the Baptist, John the Baptist's ministry was a success from God's standpoint. It was a success from God's standpoint. No matter how you look at it, it was still a success because God says it was a success. And the question I want to ask in this passage today is, how is that possible? How is John the Baptist's ministry a success? It seemed like a failure in every way. But uh, we see in Scripture that he did what he was supposed to do. Now, Christ said that this man was great and he elevated John the Baptist. And so I believe that we can learn at least some things from his life. That we should at least analyze his life. Why was his life so great? Why, what was about John the Baptist that made him success? And there's some principles, I believe, that we could find in his life. And this is what I want you to see. Let me begin reading in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. 
when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? And he, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, No. He said, I'm not. Are you, are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent you. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. What can we learn from this man's life? Look at his identity. His identity was being questioned here. Who is this man? Um, There was sent a a delegation from the Jewish leaders to find out who is this man. There was something special. Everyone knew that this man was from God. There was something distinct about his preaching this must be a prophet. This must be some, some, uh, some significant player in, found in Scripture, like Elijah. And so John, he had to identify himself. He had to, he had to say who he was. His identity was in question. Now, let's look at this. He, he says, the prophet. Let's start there. Are you the prophet? Well, um, Moses mentioned a prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18, but it's probably talking about the Messiah. So that wouldn't have been John the Baptist. And he confessed that he was not the Messiah. He let that be known right away. The Jews, of course, were anticipating a Messiah. They said, well, how about Elijah? Are you Elijah? Elijah was associated with the end times when the Messiah comes in and brings in his kingdom and establishes his kingdom. So you must be Elijah. And his answer was, no, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm just a voice, he says. Now, there's one significant passage that I want you to see in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. You'll see why this is important. Matthew chapter 17, verse 10. Because um, the disciples were questioning the same thing. What is the significance of John the Baptist? What is he... Who is he? And and here's what Christ said. And his disciples asked him, and this is Matthew chapter 17, verse 10. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Well, they're associating Elijah in the end times. and They got that right. They see that in the Old Testament. And he answered him, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. And Jesus is talking in future tense. He is coming. That is going to happen. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And Elijah-like person or someone in the power of Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did did to him whatever they wished, so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands, at the hands of these these spiritual leaders, so-called. Then the disciples understood that he he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So Jesus himself was saying, no, he's he's not Elijah, but 
that he's an Elijah-like figure. In fact, we could say he's already come. He's already, he's already here. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 11. I know I'm running around a little bit here, but just be patient. You'll see this. Matthew chapter 11. This is important for us to know. Verse 12. I'll begin at verse 12. For the days of the, the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven um, suffers violence and violent men take it by force. These spiritual leaders are coming upon the kingdom of heaven. And they're, they're, they're trying to take it by force. And they want it done their way. For all the prophets and the law, uh, prophets and the law prophesied until John the Baptist or until John. And if, now this is the significant part, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself, or John himself, that's John the Baptist, is Elijah who was to come. What in the world? If Israel would have received the message of John the Baptist, if they would have believed, if they would have accepted this message and say, yes, we realize that that was, that is our Messiah, then what? The kingdom would have been established right there. But they did not. They rejected. So this John, who, who was like John the, who was like Elijah, well, is postponed, and Elijah's going to come in the future. But, but boy, John the Baptist was Elijah-like, very similar, similar clothing even, similar style of preaching, very fiery. So, we begin to see that the, in the sovereign hand of God, something was going on, something was at, uh, amiss, something was, was working out here. John was doing what he was supposed to do, but Israel rejected their Messiah. Israel rejected the Messiah, and the kingdom was postponed. Now, I believe at some point, Christ is going to usher in the kingdom. He is going to set up a literal kingdom. Israel will be saved. They will recognize their Messiah. And John says, if we go back to John 1, John the Baptist says, I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. In fact, here's the, here's the issue. John didn't really want to identify himself. Because he, frankly, he didn't know who he was. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't see the big picture. There was just some things that God told him to do. And he said to, to preach. And so I'm going to preach. And he says, now when the Messiah comes down, or the uh, Messiah comes to you, you're going to recognize him by the, the Holy Spirit coming upon him. So John just throws up his hands. I don't know. Now here's the point. Here's what we can learn. God identified John the Baptist. John's identity was defined by God himself. He was a strong preacher. He accomplished what God had called him to accomplish. People knew that he was from God just the circumstances of his life. And God and Christ himself conferred upon him that, yes, that would have been Elijah. Now, what's the point here? What's the point? When we were young, our, our children, or, or, or when we were children, our parents kind of identified us. Their identity was kind of forced upon us. Oh, yeah, you're one of those dingus boys, aren't you? Yeah. 
Maybe the older you got, you had some quick success, maybe in sports or maybe through uh, education or something, and you made a name for yourself and you begin to identify, people begin to identify who you were. And your identity become wrapped up in that particular success. Sometimes it's a job that defines us. Sometimes it's a... Uh, It's a position that we hold. Certainly the President of the United States, the position defines him. Um, For us Christians, sometimes we just don't know who we are. Um, Peter Sellers, he was the one that played Peak Panther. He was a British actor. He, uh, someone approached him one day. In fact, he had played so many roles, so many different roles, um, that sometimes he said, I don't know who I am. And, and uh, he was approached by someone, and it, it, they said, are you Peter Sellers? And he thought, because he didn't want to approach this, he didn't want to talk to this person, he says, well, no, not today. <laughs> he, he was somebody else. So often I believe that's the way we are as Christians. But here's the deal. God defines who we are. If you're a doctor, you're a Christian doctor. If you're a lawyer, you're a Christian lawyer. If you're the president of the United States, you're a Christian president of the United States. God defines us. John just took God's identity, God's uh, um, uh, definition of his life. Now listen, if we're going to have any kind of of sense of accomplishment here on this earth, that's going to be the first step. God has to define us. You have to, and here's, here's kind of the bottom line, you must take your stand with Christ. Paul said that I died, and now I live Christ's life. God has to identify us. You are now a Christian, and all that that entails defines who you are. And it is you that take the stand for Christ. And John did that. When his identity was in question, he throws up in his hands and says, I don't know how God's going to use me. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight, point to the Messiah, preach repentance. That's, that's just what I do. Name, rank, and serial number. That's it. I don't know any more than that. That's it. John's identity was so wrapped up in God's definition of who John was. Now, let me show you another thing in verse 24. Verse 24. Now, they had, they had sent, they had been sent from the Pharisees. That was the religious leaders. They were the ones in charge. They were the ones that sent this delegation to find out who John the Baptist was. And they're probably going to be a little disappointed. But they're the ones that sent. Now, they were enemies. Ultimately, of John the Baptist, because they had established this religious system, this false religious system that John the Baptist had to correct many times while he was in his teaching. And um, and so this delegation was sent by the Pharisees, and they were enemies of John the Baptist. Now, let me go on, verse twenty-five. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered answered them saying, I baptize in water, 
But among you stands one whom you do not know. And it is he who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things, these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Next, they wanted to know, okay, who's you, who you are first, but then what's your mission? What are you doing? And John again almost throws up his hands, you know, look, I baptize, I baptize in water. But there stands one among you whose thongs I'm not even able or willing to untie. I can't, I can't even. You need to be looking at Christ. And here's what he says. Among you stands one whom you do not know. Now, where does that sound, what does that sound like? That sounds like John 1. They did not recognize their creator when he came to earth. He's right there among you. He's pointing to Christ, and they did not, they did not know him. Uh, and it was an indictment to them. But what was John the Baptist's mission? Uh, if you were, he said, I'm just here to baptize. If you were to be a proselyte, if you were going to become uh, a Judy, uh, uh, someone in the Jewish faith, in the Old Testament economy, you were to be baptized as a, as a, into Judaism. And it was a recognition of your sinfulness. Yeah, I am, I was a Gentile, but now I am a Jew. I'm going to identify with their God. And I want to confess my sinfulness and get that out of the way. And so this baptism was a recognition of their sinfulness, getting sin out of their way and identifying with John's ministry. And that's what he did. Look, I'm just baptizing. I'm preaching repentance and baptizing people. And he was pointing to Christ. He preached, he preached repentance. Now, let me show you another quandary here. If you turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Poor John. Because what happened with Israel, you know, they came out, they repent. There was some kind of, there was some evidence of repentance there. But ultimately, they rejected their Messiah. And again, John could have felt just like a complete failure there. But you know what? God had other plans. Even John's mission. Here's your mission. You faithfully do this. But here's what's going to happen. Romans chapter 10, at the end of that chapter, Paul is making an argument here, and he's kind of weaving some things through this, and I I just want to read a few verses here. Verse 21, but as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to um, a disobedient and obstinate people. So God himself was reaching out to this people. Chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite. Paul says, I am an Israelite, so he's not completely rejected Israel. Um, I am a descendant of, of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now, turn over to verse 11. Um, Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 11. 
I just want you to see the, the flow of argument here where Paul is talking about. I say then, they did not stumble. Now, this is talking about Israel and Israel's fall. They did not stumble as to fall, did they? May it never be. So God is going to, at some point, revive Israel. May it never be. But by their transgression. What is he talking about? By this disbelief, by this rejection of their Messiah, it says, transgression, salvation has come to the what? The Gentiles. That's us. That's us. The, the, the gospel comes to us now. Salvation comes to us to make them jealous. In fact, go look at verse 25. For I do not want you to be, uh, I do not want you to be, um, brethren, to be unaware of this mystery, this, this uh, thing that was unknown and now is being known, so that you may be wise in your own estimation. I want you to you, you understand where you fit in this economy that God has concerning the Gentiles, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fulfillment or the fullness of the Gentiles has been completed. So John, here's John's mission. John, I want you to preach. I want you to preach and baptize and point to Christ, point to the Messiah. And here's what's going to happen, John. And I don't think he knew all this, but here's what's going to happen, John. They're going to reject you. And it's going to be by design so that so that the gospel, so that salvation could be spread throughout the world. I have a bigger picture in mind. So John throws up his hands, look, all that I do, I just baptize. I preach repentance and I baptize them and, um, and I point to Christ. What am I saying here? John's identity was wrapped up in God and his mission was God's mission. His mission was God's mission. The church has one mission. Make disciples of all the world. Make disciples of all the world. When I worked at Chick-fil-A, I was a manager at Chick-fil-A. I said, you better be selling chicken. And if you're not selling chicken, you better be preparing chicken to sell. And if you're not preparing chicken to sell, you better be thinking about chicken. We have one mission. The church has one mission. Make disciples. Make disciples. And sometimes I think, where is our focus? Now listen, right now it's a little confusing what's going on in America. Where does Christians fit? We're not so popular anymore as we once were. Where do we fit? What's God doing on the big scale? We don't know. We frankly don't know. In fact, a lot of, not a lot, but some of my guys that I went to seminary with are just tired with America. Say, I'm fed up with Americans. I'm going overseas. That's where God is working. Americans gotten just so lethargic about spiritual things. God just doesn't even seem to be working anymore. But you know what? God has called the church to what? Make disciples. Stay focused. John, 
his ministry, his, he, he had to get his identity to, from God, and he had to get his mission from God. And look, when things get confusing, we have to do the same thing. We've got one mission, and that's making disciples. And sometimes it's hard. Let me read you this. This is a missionary from Africa once was asked if he really liked what he was doing. And his response was shocking. He says, do I like, my, do I like this work? He said, no, my wife and I do not like dirt. We have uh, reasonable, refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into to vile huts through goat refuse. Who's going to like that? But he goes on to say, but is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking and disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go and we go. And love constrains us. Man, that's a powerful testimony. It's an amazing thought. You think, well, how do I fit in? Well, I don't know how you fit in. But here's what we do know. We do know that there's... There's the mission that God has called us to. And we could say, well, maybe there's three levels. Let me give you three levels real quick. There's a level of responsibility. And that's where we all live. You have a responsibility to evangelize. I have a responsibility to evangelize. We all do that. We all have a responsibility to live a godly life. We have a responsibility to support the church. We have a responsibility to... Uh, bear one another's burdens, come alongside one another, pray for one another. We have those daily responsibilities. But then there's a distinction. Number two, God gives us each different opportunities, doesn't he? You are going to talk to people that I don't get to talk to. You're going to go places that I don't get to go to, go place, go to. Why? God has called us to be different people in different places. And then a third level is our giftedness. Not all of us are going to be gifted as missionaries to go and do these things, but at least we should be involved in these things. We should be involved in making disciples. And he's gifted us in at least two areas. There's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. And we need to be involved in some way making disciples. And you know what? That that giftedness, we're all gifted in different ways. So God's mission on your life is going to be unique. It's going to be in a specific place, in a specific time, specific daily work. It's not going to be preaching from a pulpit, maybe, maybe, but it might be preaching from uh, uh, a garage somewhere. Or it might be doing something else that God has called you to do. But it's no less important. And you are still part of the body of Christ. And you're still to be plugged in with God's mission here on this earth. That's what we do. You must be making disciples. You, we, in some way, we must be helping the church to accomplish the goal of spreading the gospel throughout all the world, making disciples. That begs the question, does God define your life and your mission? Let me give you one more. This is John's testimony. 
In verse 29, let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw, this is John, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said after me, a man who is, uh, comes a man who is higher in rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested, or it's made known to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of, out of uh, heaven and remaining upon him. I did not recognize him, John goes on to say, But he who sent me... Who was that? God sent him. He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is he who baptizes in the Spirit. And here's John's testimony right here, verse 34. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. That's John's testimony. It's John's, what John was called to do. In fact, what you could say is, mission accomplished. He did what he was supposed to do. Now, let's go back. He says the next day. In fact, John's going along. His ministry starts up. There's a lot of people coming. He's baptizing. And all of a sudden, there's just this interest in John the Baptist. And so this delegation is sent. And really within uh, three or four days, maybe a week's time, these are, there's some things that happen. And all eyes are on John the Baptist because everybody knows this is God's man. And John brings this persecution. His enemies begin to interrogate him who he is. Why? Because God's drawing attention of Israel to this man. So it is very, very clear who he's pointing to. And that's Messiah. And John does that so well, so clear. In fact, the verse 35, we could go on. The next day, that was even the day after this, John standing with two of his disciples, and he looked and he saw Jesus walking to him. And again, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two heard him speak, and they what? They followed Jesus. That's pretty interesting stuff. So John just loses his ministry all of a sudden. A flash in the pan, and he's gone. He's pointing to Christ, and it happens. And so he's faithfully ministering, but all of a sudden, in, in, a, in a few days, really, his mission is accomplished. Mission is accomplished. And he says, that's the guy. He's the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. Now, he's not talking about some universalism uh, where uh, there's, God is taking sins away of everybody. No, uh, he, is, he is talking about the world of humans and in a general sense, a uh, um, uh, distinction of all the peoples of the world, the nation groups, every race, every tribe, every, every uh, ethnic uh, identity is going to be affected by this man So there's a clear testimony. What about this Son of God? 
Well, we, aren't we all children of God? Yes, but he was, he was preeminent son of God that we talked about last week. And I believe God was pleased with John's testimony. John was sent to give bear witness to, uh, and to give testimony to the Messiah, and that's exactly what John did. Now, let me just pull this to close here. Let me pull this together. In spite of his rejection and early death, John the Baptist's ministry was successful in God's, God's eyes. Why was that? Because he identified himself with who God says he is. He is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, you, uh, this is who you are. So he, so God defined him. And God defined his mission. Here's what you're to do. And then John the Baptist, he just filled his ministry and he just left it up to God. The results were up to God. And here's what happens. When we bring our physical world together, here, here's what we do. We, we, we live on this, this, um, in this physical realm. We do our work on a daily basis. There's a, there's a little bit of fulfillment there. There's a little bit of a sense of accomplishment there. But until we bring the spiritual realm together with the physical realm, we're not going to get that sense of accomplishment. So when you find John next, he's in jail. And you know what? He seems perfectly content. He didn't say, come and try to get me out of here. No. His life was satisfied. He had done what God had called him to do. And you know what? You can have that same sense of satisfaction if you let God identify you and if you let God establish your mission. It doesn't matter where you work, the people you talk to. God can pull these two things together and you can have a sense of accomplishment in your life through those two things. And you could throw up your hands and say, I don't have to worry about it. God takes care of the big picture. I'm just called to do this. And then the real question is, are we doing that? Are you getting involved? God uses His church to make disciples. He's, he's using this church. How are you helping the church Are you selling chicken or are you preparing to sell chicken? Or are you thinking about selling chicken? Where are you? Are you a disciple maker? Are you supporting disciple makers? How how are you fitting into what, what God is doing? That's an important question. It's a very important question. Sometimes I feel like we don't see the big picture... And I think that we get a sense of accomplishment in just our physical work and we just leave it at that. But listen, God is doing, God is doing His work. And listen, if you want a sense of accomplishment in your life, you need to be about what God is doing. And that will give you a sense of accomplishment. You don't worry about the outcome. Your ministry may fail. People may reject you and your gospel. But you're just doing your job. And even that will be a sense of accomplishment. And I think we can, I think that's part of that abundant life that God has called us to, to live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for, Lord, for your kindness. 
And Father, I pray that in some way this word, this message would ignite our heart and pull us in and and draw us to Yourself so, so that, Lord, we are just so connected with You. Our identity is just defined by You. And our mission is just Your mission. That's our passion. Lord, help us to be that way. Help us to be who you called us to be and do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we know then that that is, that is satisfying to you. And we can please the God of creation, the God that created us to do these things. Lord, we thank you for the pleasure of being able to serve you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.